Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. And I just want to thank you um, for having me this morning. I want to thank Pastor Dave again uh, for encouraging me and giving me these opportunities. And I just want to open up in prayer. Um, Lord, I, I pray for your guidance over this sermon today. And Lord, I pray that every time um, this church opens up your word, that we know it's something that we stand on, that it's something that is true, that it's something that we believe, and that these words on a page are the very word of God. And they're not just fairy tales or ancient relic texts. So we just pray that you would reveal your spirit in your word for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's interesting about, so we're talking about the book of Jonah. And when I was asked to preach, I didn't know we were going to be doing missions before we did Jonah. And I think it's kind of interesting because Jonah is a missionary. His story is a missionary journey. And he didn't handle it very well, at least at first. So that's what we're going to talk about. I want to talk about how interesting it is, is that this missionary work, go, this isn't a new thing. This isn't a New Testament thing. This isn't a 2023 thing. This is something that was on God's heart thousands and thousands of years ago. So when we start talking about a new book at church, the first question I always ask is like, what does this book have to do with my life? Why do I care what happened to the prophet Jonah? That's always what I used to think when the pastor would say, oh, we're, we're going through this book, we're going through that book. Who cares? Like, what does it have to do with me? So when's the last time any of you read the book of Jonah? Like, how long has it been? Months? Maybe years? Maybe you never have. But what I wanted to do with Jonah is instead of just, there's a lot of different ways you could approach it. But what I wanted to do was show you that the book of Jonah is actually a book in the Bible that screams New Testament. And that when you read this book in a certain way, you're not going to be able to unsee Jesus. He's standing there the whole time, and he's looking at you. So this series is called A Prophet Greater Than Jonah. So the first thing we have to do is say, did, did people think Jesus was a prophet? And in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's at least one person who calls Jesus a prophet. I'll just read a few of them for you. In Mark 6, it says, But others said, He is Elijah. Still others said, He is a prophet like one of the prophets long ago. In John, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. In Matthew 21, it says, When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus also calls himself a prophet. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. In John, Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. So we see this link between Jesus being a prophet. Number two, Jesus does this curious thing. He actually draws a comparison from Jonah to himself. And that's in Matthew 12. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. And of all the people Jesus could have compared himself to in the Bible, right? It's this grumpy, crotchety, like disobedient prophet. So what is that all about? Why would Jesus say, I am like the prophet Jonah? And that is why we have to study the book of Jonah. So the answer lies there. The title of today's sermon is called Down, Down, Down. So that's the key word you're going to be looking for today. And we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. If you have your Bibles, you can park right there, and the rest should be on the screen for you. So the big idea is this. Jonah chapter 1 is a story about how you react to God after he has already blessed you. So if you're in your Bibles, we're going to start right in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And when you read that, the word of the Lord came to, that's a phrase that begins many of the prophetic books. Like this isn't unique to Jonah. You see that variation of that phrase. But when we read that phrase, the word of the Lord came to, we should immediately be thinking prophecy. We should immediately be thinking that God is speaking to someone directly and that that person who is hearing the word of the Lord is a prophet. So who is this prophet? Jonah, son of Amittai. Son of Amittai is kind of like a last name in ancient Hebrew. Like these people didn't, so for example, that would be like saying, my name is, instead of Michael Sypek, I would be Michael, son of David, from West Springfield. Like, that would be kind of how you would know who I am. And the, and the reason that's important is because we actually get a biography of Jonah in the Old Testament outside of the book of Jonah. That's not the only place that he appears. In 2 Kings 14, it says this, In the 15th year of Judah, king of Amazah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Joash, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, caused Israel to commit. So you can see how last names are useful. He restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. The God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. So he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. So that's kind of a lot. But basically what 2 Kings is trying to tell us was that Jonah was a real-life person who lived during a real-life time during the reign of real-life kings. He's a person of history. This book didn't just come out of nowhere. Second, Jonah was a prophet, but he was also a successful prophet. Kings tells us that things he said to these kings actually came true. So he wasn't a false prophet. And third, when Jonah hears the word of the Lord, 
There is no way he could be mistaking this for, for anyone else but God. He has heard from God before. This isn't new. Jonah was commissioned by God to speak to people on his behalf. Jonah knew what it was like to stand in the court of kings. Jonah knew what it was like to be around the important people. And Jonah knew the privilege it was to speak for God. They called these prophets seers. It's like they saw God, they saw the future. So this was a privilege. So back to the text. Jonah 1 verse 2. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So we know Jonah knew this was God. So when Jonah heard the words, get up, go to the great city and preach against it, Jonah definitely knew who was talking to him. Jonah knew what this meant, and Jonah also knew that what God was asking him to do was rather unpleasant. You see, going to Nineveh was a rather unpleasant experience for several reasons. First of all, it was unprecedented for God to send a Hebrew to a Gentile land. Right? This had never happened before. Other prophets had you know, prophesied too like, out loud to their own people, but God's like, no, you're taking a prophecy road trip and you're going to go take your show on the road. And we should be kind of thinking about Paul here too. So like Paul was kind of like the second draft version of what God was asking Jonah to do. And the second reason this was unpleasant was because of where he was supposed to go. So Nineveh was, it wasn't the capital city, but it was a major metropolitan area in the Assyrian Empire. And this was like the Jewish people's, one of their arch rivals, right? And these people were, un, I, I've talked about this before, they were unmatched in their brutality in the ancient world. Like, I'm not going to get into it, but they invented new ways that we haven't invented to torture and kill and maim people. They were not, this, this was not like, Jonah's thinking to himself, of all the people you could send me to, God, why would you send me here? And I want you to notice that Jonah was very obedient in 2 Kings, right? It's very easy to be a prophet when you get to stand in the king's court. It's easy to be a prophet when everything's clicking, right? You're prophesying things that are coming true. But what about when God wants you to go help those people, the people you don't like? When God says, you need to go to your enemies, and this crosses over. Like, Tom, if God sent you to go prophesy to that other political party, would you go? The opposite direction, direction. right? What about a different socio-political group? Like, oh, you know, you're poor, you got to go prophesy to the rich. You're rich, you got to go prophesy to the poor. This, like, when we read these books and we read Jonah, we're like, yeah, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. It's like, well, what if God sent you to, like, some apostate church down the street and they're like, you got to preach the gospel in there. Jonah's not different than you and me, so I don't want to pick on him too much. But you can see how unpleasant this request is that God is putting on Jonah. This is very unpleasant. And Jonah... Uh, in verse 3, it says, got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. I'm going to pick up the story a little bit here, but this is the prophecy road trip. God says, you're going to go northeast. And Jonah says, no, I'm going west. God says, get up and go. Jonah goes down. The complete opposite. The complete opposite. So he decides to go to a city named Joppa. 
Joppa's a port city. Nineveh's a landlocked city. God says go by land. He says I'm going by boat. You, you couldn't do anything more opposite. This was deliberate. This is a man on the run here. And the text continues, uh, Jonah 1.3 verse B, he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So Jonah buys a ticket to a boat to go to a place called Tarshish. And we don't actually know where Tarshish is. Like some people have real strong takes on this. I do not. But we do know that it is really, really, really far away. Probably about 18 months. So he's not just going like down the street. He's literally saying, I'm going to go to the farthest possible place that a Hebrew could imagine going to not have to do what God just asked me to do. In 2 Chronicles, it says, All of King Solomon's drinking cups were gold, and all the utensils of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. There was no silver since it was considered as nothing in Solomon's time, for the king's ships kept going to Tarshish with Hiram's servants. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish would arrive, bearing gold, silvery, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I know that's, I don't know why they're importing apes and peacocks, but... Solomon was a wild dude. So round trip to Tarshish, three years. So if it's a one-way ticket, you know, maybe they were making other stops along the way, but like Jonah said, give me the ticket to the farthest possible place that I could go. Off to Tarshish, we go. And I don't know about you, but I've bought that ticket. I didn't actually go to Tarshish, but I bought that ticket that I said, God, when my faith is weak, when I'm sinning, Instead of sitting here with you and like sorting this thing out, I'd rather just run. I'd rather go off to Tarshish, maybe 18 months. And I'll tell you, I've bought that ticket, and that ticket stinks. It really does. And I don't know about you, but I have certainly felt that there are times in my life where as far away from God is the best place for me, but we know that's not the best place for us. So we continue on. Jonah 1, 4 through 5. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. You cannot run from God. It does not matter. You can keep going down, down, down. And of all the people that should know, you cannot run from God. It's a prophet. And look at the lengths that God is going to get Jonah's attention here. He's literally whipping up the seas. So I thought it was great, that song that, that they sang this morning, that like we know that God is sovereign over all of this. So these, these aren't just some incidental storms. But what makes this so bad on Jonah's part is that his disobedience is putting other people at risk here, right? And this isn't just true for Jonah. It's true for all of us. If you're a parent, if you're a leader of any kind, maybe you're a boss, when you're disobedient to God and he has to kind of like shake up the sea around you to get your attention, you're putting other people's lives at risk. Your disobedience has a cost. There's a lot of collateral damage when we disobey God. So Jonah, he's on his way to Tarshish, and we see this repetition of the word down. The only direction Jonah's going lately 
is down. And he thinks he's going in the right direction, but we know he's not. And this shouldn't surprise us, because really the only direction you can run from God, if you can, is down. You go farther down into the things that you're struggling with, farther down into sin, farther down into disobedience. And then Jonah finds a nice, cozy spot in the cargo area of a ship that might have been carrying peacocks and apes, okay? So Jonah 1 through 6, um, verse 6, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we will not perish. When Jonah heard the words, get up, he must have lost his mind. Because it's, it's very likely that the last time anybody said this to him, it was God himself saying, get up, go. Jonah knew he was in trouble at this point. I think he definitely knew. And I think this is an example of, dare I say, how scandalous God is sometimes. Like, it's actually a scandal that God would like, pursue people who have you know, crumpled up their relationship with him and say, nope, I'm still going after you. Nope, I'm still going after you. Nope, that's a, scan- that's a scandalous God in this world. Th- th- grace is an amazing thing because grace is so undeserved, right? Grace finds us. Grace pursues us, even when you're on the run. So this is the point of the story when we have to have a serious conversation. How much of Jonah do I have in me? How much Jonah do you have in you? How many times have we wanted to buy that first class ticket? But Jonah kept going down, down, down. But God keeps saying, get up, get up, get up. Verse 7, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. They said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. If you'll leave up verse 9 for me. So the first thing I want you to notice, notice that Jonah doesn't tell the men what he does for a living. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet of God, right? Because as far as he's concerned, he has resigned, His life as a prophet is over. He took his calling and he threw it away. And I also want you to notice what he leads with. He says, I am a Hebrew. So he's proud to tell everyone about his ethnic identity, right? He's proud to tell them about his country of origin. That's the first thing he says. And this tells us about his mind, right? Jonah's priority is his national identity. Uh, Does this sound familiar to you today? Because we live in a blessed nation, and when we're blessed as a nation, it's so easy to forget about God. It's so easy to forget that, like, this country that we, we don't deserve any of this. It's all grace, too. It's all a gift. You ever heard someone say, God, family, country? And that's great. That's great. But how often, when you're in a blessed land, do we put, it's more like country, family, God, or maybe family, country, God, or God, you know, out of order. Because when things are going good, we turn to God last. Jonah 1, 
10 through 13. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging more and more and more. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's what Jonah said. Going overboard was all that was left. Jonah was done. He was defeated. He abandoned God. He abandoned his calling. He was sliding down into sin. Jonah even believed that God abandoned him. He was blaming the wrong person, and he's going down, 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 down. And even though it doesn't feel this way, when we are in our lowest moments, when we're down in the, you know, the peacock hold, God is still there. That's where God does most of his miraculous work, as a matter of fact. God never left Jonah. Jonah left God. And in verse 14, it says, So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so if you notice the, the reluctance of the sailors here to throw Jonah overboard, they didn't want to be charged with innocent blood. And we see that the pagans were far more concerned about a Hebrew than a Hebrew was concerned about the pagans that Jonah was called to serve. And this is an ironic twist because it's the complete inversion of the calling that God put on Jonah's life. And the sailors recognized right away that Jonah's God had the power to calm the storms and cease the winds. What kind of a God does this? And it's a tragic end to Joy's, uh, Jonah's voyage. And you can use the calling God has put on your life to help the unsaved people in your life. But God gives you the choice. Like you can do it on the boat or you can do it overboard. Like you can go by land or you can go by a whale. That choice is yours, but God's purposes are sovereign here. And when you hear that calling on your life, just know that God is not done with you yet. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord appointed the great fish, just like he appointed Jonah. God is sovereign in all of this story because his ways aren't our ways. He actually has a plan. We think we have a plan. He has a plan. And the part at the end here is important because the fish comes appointed by God in submission to God. And this should make you think in your mind, this is like rocks will cry out territory because what a shame it is that you're going to let a fish show you what obedience really looks like. What a shame it is that the prophet lays his call down, but some fish does not. What a shame it is that the Christian lets something else or someone else worship God through obedience 
instead of doing it themselves. And we talked about in the beginning how Jonah chapter 1 is about how Jonah responds to God after he had already been blessed in his life. Jonah stood in the court of kings. He's heard the audible voice of God. He was a member of God's chosen people. He was a very blessed person. But those blessings didn't cost Jonah anything. That's the difference. They were gifts. And the one day that God asked Jonah to do something that would actually cost him something, it would cost something to go to Nineveh. What it would cost him is his reputation. It was frowned upon for a Jew to have fellowship with the Gentiles. But what Jonah wasn't willing to risk was his own reputation for the advancement of God's glory. It just wasn't something he was willing to do. So this is a cautionary tale for all of us because we're not better than Jonah. We all struggle with pride. We all struggle with the cost that it takes to be a Christian. And respectfully speaking, at least once in our lives, we have or we will run away from God. But it is God's nature to bless his children. And the ultimate expression of God's desire to bless his children is found in Jesus Christ. So how do we see Jesus in Jonah chapter 1? Where is this prophet greater than Jonah? Matthew 8, 23 through 27. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. So Jonah was asleep when the seas and the storms raged. Jesus was asleep in the boat when the seas and the storms raged. But what was the difference? The difference is, in Jonah's case, the storms exposed who he really was. He was a prophet on the run, looking for any excuse not to do the hard thing. He was embracing his descent. In the case of Jesus, the storms confirm who he is. Jesus was the greater prophet. He wasn't on the boat to run away from anything. Jesus embraced his calling. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Jesus came to show us the power of God, and Jesus came to show us what faith really looks like. Jesus and Jonah could not have looked any different in the bottom of that boat, sleeping. Because Jonah knew out there there was a God who could calm these storms. But Jesus is that God who can calm all these storms. So I want to end like this. When we feel like Jonah, when God says, I'm bigger than your reputation, I know things used to be good, but they're not. When we feel like a castaway, when we can't make sense of God's plan for our lives, I want us to remember this little hymn that I found. It says, Lord, change to flesh my stony heart, the veil of sin again remove. Apply your blood, renew, convert, and melt it by your dying love. This rebel heart by love subdue, and by your spirit, Make it new. 
Oh, give me, Lord, the tender heart that trembles at the approach of sin. A godly fear of sin impart and plant and root it deep. That I may dread your gracious power and never dare offend you. That's Jonah chapter 1. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you for your church. And Lord, we thank you for the calling that you have put on all of our lives. And Lord, we ask this week, when we hear your voice, when we hear God tell, get up, we will not go down. So I just pray a special blessing over all my brothers and sisters. I pray a safe week for everyone. And we'll see them again next week. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.